This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where it's the calm before the storm as we await the start of the legislative session next Tuesday. Today on Sunrise, we'll talk with the only Iranian-American serving in the state legislature to get her take on the fallout from the president's decision to take out Iran's top general with a drone strike. Medical marijuana may be legal in Florida, but you can still lose your job if you test positive for pot. A couple of South Florida lawmakers have a bill to try to fix that. Integrity Florida issues a new report that raises a red flag about the legislative trend to pass preemption bills that force local governments to do things their way or not at all. We'll also have your daily calendar of events, and our Florida Man segment features two Florida women and a Florida parrot. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 7th. Most of us still have no clue about the ramifications of Donald Trump's decision to execute an Iranian general with a drone strike last week, but it's been especially troubling for one member of the Florida legislature. State Representative Anna Eskimani of Orlando is the first Iranian-American elected to public office in the state of Florida. It's been, it's been really tough, honestly. Um, I have family in Iran. Most of my family is still in Iran. Um, so uh, watching the escalation, knowing the impact of undirectly on directly innocent people in in, a, in around the world, whether it's our troops or officials abroad or um, in neighboring countries from Iraq to Israel, um, and of course the civilians in Iran. So it's it's very concerning. I I don't think President Trump's decision uh, was strategic, and at this point it feels like we are even uh, more vulnerable and isolated than we were before. And despite the president saying that his decision to um, uh, kill uh, uh, General Salmani was to make the United States safer, it feels quite the opposite right now. And the and the tweet of attacking cultural sites, I will tell you, Rick, has made the situation even more dire. Um, it has been that that rhetoric from President Trump has been used as propaganda in Iran to stir nationalism and anti-American fervor. And folks might, have be, might be watching the funeral footage in Iran of hundreds of thousands of Iranians coming to the streets, which is unheard of, especially in a, in a country where um, there is resentment towards the government in many different circles. Do you think this might be a case of wagging the dog? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> Definitely heard that a lot. Um, I, I think that the timing is really unique. Um, and you've heard that from other officials, too, of, you know, if this was so imminent and serious, why wasn't it done before? Um, the fact that this week we're going to see a congressional resolution on uh, the president's uh, authority of war alongside the potential movement of the impeachment uh, trial before the Senate. Um, it, it, the timing definitely seems problematic and, and very distracting for the American people. I mean, war is serious. And at this point, I don't see de-escalation from either side. And uh, uh, putting the ball in Iran's court is very dangerous. I can't stand up how oppressive the Islamic Republic of Iran is and how this is a government that uh, sees uh, no problems with killing Americans, with uh, imprisoning Iranians, with censoring and censoring the press and pushing forward um, uh, on human rights violations. Um, so to now have the ball be in Iran's court um, is, is very scary for all of us under the context of 
serious impeachment hearings where our Constitution is also at risk. We'll hear more from the representative later in the interview segment of the podcast. Medical marijuana may be legal in Florida, but thanks to zero-tolerance drug-free workplace laws, you can still be fired or businesses can refuse to hire you if you test positive for THC. State Representative Tina Polsky of Boca Raton says the legislature created this problem, and it's up to them to solve it. She's sponsoring a bill that would protect licensed medical marijuana users from discrimination by their employer unless their marijuana use adversely affects their job performance or they work in what's classified as a safety-sensitive position. So when we created laws to allow medical medical marijuana to be used, there was no guidelines given to employers. And so many employers drug test, and if they come up positive for marijuana, they will not be hired or they will be fired because of Drug-Free Workplace Act. And so we thought it was important that we provide guidelines and protections for employees as well as guidelines for employers so they know how to navigate in this new arena that we have because medical marijuana is legal in Florida if you have a license. It's not an employee-friendly bill versus an employer-friendly bill. I think it's, I think employers as well are asking for this kind of guidance because they don't know what to do. But I think it's very important that employees be protected because even if there's a rumor that somebody's using medical marijuana or somebody's spotted at a dispensary and then they say, oh, we're going to fire them, that's not right. Because unless it affects their performance, that shouldn't happen. I work in the area of employment law. I'm a mediator for these kinds of cases, and I worked as an attorney in this area, and I worked in human resources. And if we don't do this, there's going to be a rash of disability accommodation lawsuits that will come up if someone gets fired for using medical marijuana when it's a legal drug in the state. So I think it's important that we put some guidelines out there because otherwise people are going to seek to figure this out in the courts. And I think it's up to the legislature because we're the ones who designed the law to fix whatever loopholes uh, are missing. And so I think that this is important that we we get it out there and we figure out what happens in the employer-employee relationship with respect to this legal drug for medical use. Polsky says the legislature should guarantee that medical marijuana users do not face discrimination for using a legal medical treatment. Senator Lori Berman of Delray Beach has filed the companion bill in the state Senate. A new report from a group called Integrity Florida accuses state lawmakers of trying to undermine local government by preempting their authority simply because of philosophical or political differences. Florida Integrity Research Director Ben Wilcox says the fundamental concept of home rule is under attack in Tallahassee. The findings of the report are meant to raise a cautionary red flag about a new trend in the Florida legislature. It's a trend that should be concerning to those of us who believe in the traditional conservative principle that government governs best when it's closest to the people. The report finds that the use of preemption as a strategy is increasing yearly in the legislature, amounting to a yearly attack on the home rule authority of local governments. From the 2017 through the 2019 legislative sessions, we found there was a total of 119 bills filed containing some form of state preemption of local government. Of course, the granddaddy of preemption laws in Florida dates back to 1987, when the legislature declared it was the sole arbiter of gun laws in Florida, and local governments no longer had a say in the matter. You can thank the NRA and the Democrats who were in charge at the time. Nowadays, Republicans are taking it to another level, with bills that prevent local governments from raising the minimum wage, protecting transgender persons from discrimination, banning plastic straws and plastic grocery bags, or adopting sanctuary policies for refugees and immigrants. Researcher Alan Stonecipher says the bottom line is that the good old boys in the legislature, especially those from rural areas, are trying to stifle the big city progressives. 
There is an urban and rural component to this that goes along um, fairly well with Republican and Democratic membership. And we end up with a situation where predominantly rural legislators are blocking action by predominantly you know, liberal cities and minorities. So you have a bunch of white men saying what can be done in a particular town or city. And the thing is, they're not even trying to hide it. Wilcox says the lawmakers pushing preemption admit they're doing it to keep all those liberals in line. You know, they're completely upfront about what they're doing, and they were, they admit they're attacking, you know, what they see as rogue, you know, progressive cities. Um, I think um, Representative Renner called them Bernie cities that are enacting, you know, progressive legislation, whether it's minimum wage or environmental concerns like the plastic straw, plastic bags, the sunscreen. You know, those issues are important environmental issues that should be debated on the merits of the issue, but instead they're kind of an annoyance to the business community. Like in the case of the plastic straws, you know, paper straws cost maybe a penny more to produce than a plastic straw. So that, that's just kind of a minor annoyance to a, a restaurant that has to now buy paper straws, but they're not looking at the environmental concerns. They're just looking at their bottom line. Many of these preemption bills come from business lobbyists who say they're just trying to ensure uniform rules and regulations across the state. But frankly, it's a lot cheaper for them to rig the rules by using their influence in Tallahassee than to actually face the issues in local communities where their high-priced lobbyists don't have anywhere near as much clout. Sixteen preemption bills have already been filed for the upcoming legislative session. Next up, Representative Anna Eskamani returns to the podcast to talk about something more mundane than a potential war in the Middle East, specifically the upcoming session of the legislature. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predict It is doing. Predict It is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Our guest today on the Sunrise interview is State Representative Anna Eskimani, a Democrat from Orlando elected to the House in 2018. She's one of the rabble-rousers and is gearing up for the legislative session that begins next week. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast. I'm a big fan um, we are doing uh, our homework. You know, we are uh, have all of our bills filed. We have been studying some of the newest issues coming to the legislative session in 2020, talking to our colleagues on both sides of the aisle, um, growing in our sponsorships, trying to secure Republican co-sponsors for some of our bills as well. Um, so uh, we're we're ready to rock and roll, and uh, you know feel pretty feel pretty excited for what's going to come this session. Over the years, the Democrats have been sort of relegated to a hold the line kind of position. Is there anything this year the Democrats think they can actually advance or or make improvements in? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, without a doubt, we 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 play the role as a loyal opposition, and and we must hold that role and lead with our values every single day. Um, there is hope for some movement on key issues, in particular, criminal justice reform is something that has uh, found support among uh, both 
conservatives and those that are more left-leaning. Um, we see bills being filed on both sides of the aisle, and I'm really hopeful that that can be something both parties can claim as victorious. Um, I, I think when it comes to most other issues, it's going to be a battle. I mean, affordable housing trust funds are, are one of our key goals as well, and that's another bipartisan issue that doesn't seem to get the support from um, House leadership to protect those funds from being made in the future. Um, obviously, the the debate over gun issues continues. I think there has been some hope from the Florida Senate on uh, you know creating a uh, committee assignment to study the subject of mass shootings, but we haven't seen any policy from that yet. And then the last issue that I'll, I'll mention that has been a, a Democratic fight for years is teacher pay. I think it's important for folks to remember that. I mean, we have been talking about teacher pay um, for a very long time, and even on the House floor during budget debates brought up teacher pay, you know, brought up um, ending uh, some of these voucher programs and putting those dollars towards teacher pay. And so seeing the governor talk about teacher pay in some degree um, gives me hope that this session we can actually allocate dollars towards that issue and ensure that we attract the best teachers, we retain the best teachers, um, that, that will help create that next generation of Floridians. And yet we hear a lot of talk about, especially leaders in the House, having some doubts about that whole idea of a minimum base salary for teachers, and about the whole procedural, how you would make it work. Is that going to happen, do you think? It's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, I think that uh, our current speaker and incoming speaker um, have been very intentional in not sharing uh, too much enthusiasm towards the governor's budget. Um, what a nice way of putting it. And... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I have nothing but love and respect for my colleagues, so I, I, I choose my words really, really carefully. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, you know, I will be pushing. We'll be pushing for that baseline. Um, and as folks probably know, there'll be a major rally uh, for teachers uh, the day before session starts, and we'll be there um, in solidarity with our educators across this great state. So it, it has to be done. There's a crisis when it comes to teachers leaving this state. I have met so many former teachers in my district who are in the private sector now uh, because they just could not survive on that teacher salary. No matter how much they love the job, they also have bills to pay. They have kids to feed. Um, so it's so important that we take this issue seriously. And, and I always tell folks, Tallahassee doesn't have a, a financial funding problem. We have a prioritization problem. When we are allowing the state's largest corporations to get a $500 million refund uh, on their corporate income tax, and then we say we can't pay teachers, uh, there's a, a pretty direct correlation there of, of, of how we're designed to spend money and, and where we actually could allocate it. Is this also the year that the, the legislature goes ahead with the parental consent bill on abortion? It's, it's come close before, but it, it looks to be kind of greased this year. I, I, I would agree with that. And I, I say that with a lot of pain because folks probably know that um, I'm a, a, a passionate advocate for seasonal access to abortion. You know, the fight isn't over yet, uh, but the Florida House is definitely ready to pass that bill again. The Florida House passed it. Last session, I have no doubt there'll, there'll be um, hours of a, of, a, of a strong and civil debate. Uh, but on the Senate side, the bill has one more committee. Uh, you know, we've heard rumors uh, between leadership that a deal has been struck. Of course, the minority party, I'm not always privy to those conversations. But uh, we're committed to, to fighting against any effort to pass this bill in the Senate and, of course, having a strong debate in the House. Um, the reality is that Florida already has parental notification laws in place. And so what that means is that if a young person under 18 
is seeking access to an abortion, they must get notification from their parent or guardian, which uh, can be very, very literal. I mean, when I worked at Planned Parenthood before uh, running for office, I actually became a notary to notarize the paperwork of guardians and the young person when they would come for the appointment to ensure that this was their legal guardian. I would look at the birth certificate, the driver's licenses, and, and notarize that for the family. And that was proof of notification, which really does already feel like consent. Um, now giving the veto power um, to that adult um, creates a, um, a really dangerous environment for young people who don't have engaged parents in their life, for young people in the foster care system, for young people who might face abuse from parent or guardians. And of course, there is the judicial bypass process, but as you've seen in the debate, that process is really broken, and, and we're potentially going to endanger more young people. Meanwhile, the true intent of this bill is to relitigate abortion in a more conservative Florida Supreme Court, and we've heard that from our colleagues more than once. It's not a secret, um, and folks might remember that this issue in particular, parental consent, was litigated in the past and deemed unconstitutional, which is why we have notification today. So that's the heart of this debate. It's the heart of this fight. Um, and I have no doubt that we'll continue to see energy and advocates from across the state come to Tallahassee and have their voices be heard. Um, because at the end of the day, we have to always center the conversation on directly impacted people. The politicians passing this bill will not will not be impacted by this legislation, but everyday Floridians will be in, and we'll make sure their voices are heard. We definitely have uh, quite a few bills filed that I'm very excited about. One is focused on uh, Florida becoming a leader on renewable energy. So uh, we're very passionate about uh, the Sunshine State creating a new energy economy. So for the second year in a row now, we have filed Florida's 100% renewable energy bill, which would set a goal for us to be 100% renewable energy based by 2050, something that half a dozen cities here in this great state have already committed to. So we're very hopeful um, to get Republican support on this bill. Uh, we heard uh, the Speaker-designee, uh, Chris Sprouls, talk about climate change during his address to his caucus. Um, so that gives me hope that we'll actually see meaningful um, reform and policy change to actually reflect that, those type of aspirations. And, and our bill is, is teed up and perfect to help lead the goal for Florida. Um, we've also filed legislation around uh, the protection of LGBTQ youth and kids' disabilities. Uh, folks might remember the Orlando Sentinel did a series of investigative reporting um, and commentary on voucher private schools that have explicit policies discriminate against students who have disabilities or students who identify as LGBTQ or their parents who identify as so. And uh, we think it's inappropriate for any school that receives public taxpayer dollars to be to be discriminating against their students. And we have filed a bill as well to prohibit those monies uh, from being uh, allowed to go to those schools. And then finally, one of our other bills that we're really excited about is our effort to keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers. And for far too long, we've seen um, situations of domestic violence becoming um, homicide, of murder-suicide and of mass shooters having a connection to uh, domestic violence. And our bill would help close those gaps and hopefully reduce the next mass shooting and also the, the increase the ability of someone to escape a situation of abuse um, in their intimate environment. So a few of our bills that we're hopeful to get support on, and uh, we, we are um, always optimistic going into session. We know it's an uphill battle for Democrats, but I think it's so important we try to find common ground and we live and lead by our values.
Those values will be put to the test during the session that begins a week from today. On your calendar of events for Tuesday, the Tampa Bay Regional Resiliency Coalition will start a two-day Resilience Leadership Summit to discuss planning for the effects of climate change. Speakers include Congressman Charlie Crist, the mayors of Tampa, St. Petersburg, and Clearwater, and the state's chief resilience officer. It kicks off at 8.30 at the Hilton Carillon Park Hotel in St. Pete. The Social Services Estimating Conference meets at 9 a.m. in Tallahassee to analyze Medicaid expenditures. Spoiler alert, they're going up. They're always going up. A couple of lawmakers from St. Petersburg, Senator Daryl Rousson and Representative Ben Diamond, are holding a news conference at the Dolly Museum in St. Pete at 9.15 to announce legislation designed to promote arts education in Florida. And the Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 1.30 in Tallahassee to examine highway safety revenues. Finally, it's time once again for the continuing misadventures of Florida Man. A Florida woman is charged with DUI after the highway patrol clocked her at 107 miles per hour on Interstate 275 in Pinellas County. 22-year-old April Moyer was arrested after troopers found an open bottle of vodka in her vehicle, along with jello shots and beer in the trunk. And a Florida woman called 911 after hearing strange cries for help from a home in Lake Worth. She told them it sounded like someone was crying, let me out, and four Palm Beach County deputies responded. This is what they heard. Turns out those were not cries for help. It was the sound of a 40-year-old parrot named Rambo. His owner says he taught Rambo to say, let me out, years ago when he lived in a cage. That's a wrap on this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where there are just seven days left before the start of the legislative session. Sunrise!